ironically, it's one of the things that gets completely left out of all of these proposed regulations mm-hmm. is AI that has its finger on the kill switch. So any AI that is being actively used for war or that can be for weaponry in any way and like has the power to take someone's life, that's where we need to apply this vigor. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly, tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence AI stands at the forefront of technological evolution. With experts predicting that it'll add trillions of dollars to our GDP, but it could also impact our workforce and national security negatively. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? The U.S. Congress is currently working to put up a legislative framework around AI. This has resulted in multiple hearings, listening sessions, and over 100 proposed bills. The same is happening in the EU, UK, and other nations around the world. Our podcast features insights from various perspectives, from industry leaders, government officials, to advocacy groups. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. I'm very excited to have Demetrius Brinkman with us today. He's the founder of the MLOPS community of machine learning practitioners from around the world. I invited him on this show as it is very important to get different stakeholders' views towards building regulation and legislation on AI. And the MLOps community deserves a seat at the table. Welcome, Dimitris. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Regulating AI podcast. Thanks, Sanjay. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. Dimitris, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the MLOps community? Of course. So we are a community that now has about over 20,000 members. And it is, as you mentioned, a lot of machine learning practitioners, and we're mainly focused on getting machine learning into production. And so what that means is that there's a lot of research that's going on and making machine learning very cutting edge, or AI, as some people like to call it these days. And we like to stay and play at the forefront of how do we take all of this machine learning and AI that is out there and make sure that it is usable and that businesses can leverage it and not spend too much time or pain getting machine learning models or AI into production. So it would be fair to say, Demetrius, then whatever rules, regulations come across around the world, whether it's in EU, whether it's in Washington or the US, et cetera, would impact your 20,000 or so members, right? 100%. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It would impact them quite a bit because we are focusing a lot on this very thing. Wonderful. So let's get into some of the areas that could have an impact on them and how they could also impact legislation. And that's the whole purpose of this conversation and purpose of our Regulating AI podcast. So Demetrius, on October 30th, President Biden announced a sweeping executive order, which basically requires companies that are developing foundation models, which is large you know, language models 
that they must now share their internal safety results with the government and they have to be transparent about it. Do you have any thoughts or feedback on that? Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is what is a large language model? What is a model? Like, how does it constitute needing to be shared? Because there's a lot of machine learning that was happening before ChatGPT came out and it didn't cause any alarm and it didn't cause any need for sharing all internal rubrics. And I wonder, A, how do you make that decision as to when it is a large model or when it is a gigantic model and what constitutes that? Is it over a billion parameters? How do you look at that? And so I think they tried to map that out. I'm not sure. I'm not well-versed enough in that. But the other piece is that let's just say that it's very clear as to when you cross over that line. Then (laughs) these internal safety rubrics Who in the government is going to be able to read them, understand them, and properly translate them to the rest of the groups that aren't necessarily as well-versed in the safety of AI and how you go about doing reinforcement learning from human feedback and all of that fun stuff. So that's my first inkling of like, Is it going to fall on the companies to have to explain things in a very simplified manner? Are they going to give everything that they've done and then it it falls on the different regulating bodies to be able to understand that and then translate it or see if it is good enough or up to standards? And what are those standards? Are they subjective? And who is creating those standards on that safety list? So it feels like everything is very early and nascent in that field. And I'm not sure that it's the best route, in my opinion. So right now, there is no clarity as to what defines a foundation model. They're working towards that. And NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards in the U.S., is the agency that's going to set the you know testing models and things of that nature and will have to translate. But there is no clarity yet. And I think you raised some very interesting points towards that, Demetrius. I do think, just sorry to interrupt, there's probably, it is really useful though for these companies, especially big tech companies, to report on how they are training the architecture that they're using, the parameter counts, all of that is actually quite nice. Now that I think about it and I put it more into perspective, the safety on that is is valid and it is valuable because what I feel like we've seen as a AI community is things have gone more and more behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. And that I think I I like a lot less than the idea of having to tell some regulating body that may or may not understand it, right? Yeah. So what you're saying is at least it's good for some of these large ones who, you know, have got this bail to start giving out some of that information, Demetrius. Yeah. Reporting on that is quite nice because it gives everyone an understanding that if some amazing breakthrough happens tomorrow, it's not Mm -hmm. held in the hands of one company. Yeah. And you're talking about AGI and things of that nature, right? Yeah. And I think AGI, I don't like to use that word because I don't even understand what that would look like or how that would play out. I think it's a huge jump to say AGI 
maybe it's because I'm not enough of a futurist, but I feel like AGI is something for sci-fi books still and not necessarily something that's going to happen in our lifetimes. But what do I know? You know, a lot of people don't. So, but let's shift to the EU for a second. As you know, the EU has been working now, the European Union has been working now for several years on an AI Act. And what they have proposed in this AI Act is that in addition to the upfront mandatory requirements like transparency and testing, that the systems that these companies are going to use or build will need continuous risk management and post-market monitoring from these providers. Do you see any problems, implementation problems in continuous monitoring of AI system once they're on the market? Because that's putting a lot of onus on these providers. What are your thoughts? So actually, this is where I'm a bit more bullish because that is just good software design mm-hmm. to be able to monitor things. And you can see it, <laughs> it plays out in the free market anyway. If you look at what is going on right now with machine learning like recommender systems, mm-hmm. you can see that companies are buying monitoring products because they've had a machine learning model go haywire and it recommends women's high heels for every single visitor to their e-commerce store. Whether you're a man, a woman, mm-hmm. a child, whatever you may be, you're getting this recommendation and then that ends up losing the company money. And so then the company says, whoa, our recommender system usually generates cash for us. But here, for the last 18 days, we didn't realize it was recommending high heels to everyone that came to our website. And we lost out on hundreds of thousands of euros. And so they end up buying a monitoring solution because they don't want that to happen again. So it ends up happening in the free market. I don't think you necessarily need to put a regulation on it. But mm-hmm. here is where I think that if you're going to regulate it, you're just regulating good software design principles. So I'm for it, you know? Yep. And it, I find it a little bit ironic. It's like now it's illegal to be a bad software developer. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying is that it's good software development practice to have a monitoring system in any case. Yeah. And not just on the model predictions. So the model is going to be predicting certain things and it's going to be coming out with certain things. And so there's one thing that is, I think, very convoluted in this whole talk about regulating AI is that what use cases are we talking about? What kind of AI in quotation marks are we talking about? Are we talking about a recommender system? Are we talking about a large language model that's summarizing a document? Are we talking about a robot that's seeing and identifying certain things with computer vision? There's Mm -hmm. so many different ways that you can be using AI. And for me, it feels like there's monitoring that's happening on the prediction level, but you also want to monitor, is the data that's coming in still fresh? Are there data pipelines that have broken? So that's going to make my predictions more uh, erroneous at the end of the day. And so there's many things that you can monitor. And then that's not just like, there's also the classic system level. You want to monitor that your system is working and you have the correct uptime that you said you were going to have. So I am sure a lot of us have felt this when we tried to go to chat GPT and it says, oh, sorry, we're getting too much demand right now. We can't service this. That's where potentially the system is getting overloaded. And Mm -hmm. if they are monitoring it correctly, they can tell you that. Or if you're going to a website and it's down, it's just a 404 or it's not working, 
That's the system level monitoring. So there's many layers that you can be monitoring the software at. It's not just saying, hey, we need to monitor this and then giving up there. So again, it's uh, a little bit of that idea of clarifying exactly what we're monitoring. And is it the predictions? Is it the data that's flowing in? Is it the system? Where are we monitoring? How are we monitoring it? But all in all, I think monitoring is a great idea and it is very useful to have that in place. And I think a lot of engineers would agree with me on that. So just following up on that point, the AI Act also talks about mandatory third-party testing requirement for critical Mm. systems before launch. How feasible is that or would it stifle innovation if you're going to have third parties do testing? In the U.S., they're talking about the internal test results, but I think in the U, it's more of a third-party testing requirement. What are your thoughts on this? So for me, as far as I know with the EU Mm -hmm. proposed regulation, when it comes to critical systems, that's my biggest question mark because a lot of the things that were proposed on the critical systems, I was a little bit confused about. And so I think there are really clear bodies that are regulating certain critical systems right now. Like I do not want to get on an airplane that has not had these third-party tests Mm -hmm. and lots of external testing to make sure that it flies and every piece is properly put together Mm -hmm. and it continuously is being tested and monitoring. So I think that might've been the approach that they were thinking of coming in. And, And so when you have that, there's no reason that the AI system for these specific use cases shouldn't comply with that type of rigorous regulation and testing. In my Mm -hmm. eyes, that makes perfect sense. It's like an automobile. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that my seatbelt works. These are things. And so if I'm going to add AI into my automobile, I want to make sure that works and it's rigorously tested, just like everything needs to be rigorously tested on my airplane. And so in those cases, 100%, but in other cases, and I think when it comes to the EU proposed critical parts, it didn't seem like some of the critical systems were all that critical and they don't have these regulations already in place in that sector or with that. So that's where I was a little bit confused. And as far as if it will stifle innovation, we can see that with certain things like airplanes and cars, I don't feel like it's completely stifled that innovation having it there. So that's my thought on it. Okay. So let's just step back to the bigger picture, Demetrius. What do you see the biggest risk from AI, artificial intelligence that you think need to be regulated if you were to take a big picture approach? So for me right now, it's very clear. And ironically, it's one of the things that gets completely left out of all of these proposed regulations mm-hmm. is AI that has its finger on the kill switch. So any AI that is being actively used for war or that can be for weaponry in any way and like has the power to take someone's life, that's where we need to apply this vigor. And it's one thing to say that the AI, because I I can see a scenario where you have a drone that is using a computer vision model and it knows what the quote unquote bad guys pictures Mm -hmm. look like. And then it 
says, yeah, we identify someone in on the street or whatever that looks like this person. So we're going to drop a bomb. And next thing you know, AI models aren't, and we all, like, it's very obvious for anyone working in this field that AI models are never 100%. You're never going to get 100% accuracy, correctness ever. So mm. for me, if you have a scenario where there is no human in the loop mm -hmm. and lives are at risk with some kind of weaponry, that needs to be looked at in a very strong way. And that's the biggest piece that I feel like we have to be clear as a society on how we want to be doing that. Just as we're clear as a society on, we don't want chemical warfare. I don't think anyone wants to have to worry about drones killing people with a 30% confidence rate that it's the bad guy. Yeah, that's not been talked about much as chemical warfare is in some of the executive order. So you think obviously in terms of how it's used for, you know, weapons and weaponry is something that you would like to see regulated, Demetrius. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That feels at least let's have the conversation. It's mm -hmm. funny because there's all of these, you have the proposed EU regulation, you have the US executive order. And I'm pretty sure in both of these, at least in the EU regulation, they just negate it completely. And then in the US one, I think they say excluding warfare or excluding defense. I, I can't remember the exact language, but they basically say they, they exclude it altogether. And so that one feels a little bit like a, a bait and switch on me where you're saying, okay, we're going to regulate all this except for where we can kill people for real. So taking that question a little bit further up, where do you think the liability is if an AI artificial intelligence system causes harm? You know, is it with the people who develop the system, the deployer or the user, or is it all of them? So I've thought quite a bit about this question, and I don't know if I have a clear answer as to who we can mm -hmm. blame. It definitely does not feel like something that's cut and dry where you could say, oh, it's one person's fault mm -hmm. because everybody's complacent in it in some way or another where the person decides to get in, let's take an autonomous vehicle and someone decides to put their car on full self-driving mode. And then you have the person that created that car and that full self-driving, the company that is behind it, that put it out there. You have the engineer. Everyone's taken part in it. And if something happens, it is not like you can say, oh, it's because of the company that allowed that to happen. There's many different pieces that come into play. And I'm not clear as to what the right answer is here. It doesn't feel like to me that it's something that you can blame one entity 100% for. So just taking it to the next level, should companies that are deploying AI, whether it's used by consumers or other business, should they have the responsibility or to disclose that AI is being used? Yeah, I think that is quite useful to know, especially... If you're somebody, because there is one thing that I find fascinating about humans in general is our ease at which we believe things that come from technology to be true. And I notice it with myself where I grew up with calculators and calculators were much better at arithmetic than I was. And so if you put 25 times 506 into a calculator, it's going to give you the correct answer. 
100% of the time. Unless you type it in wrong, then mm-hmm. it's going to give you a wrong answer, right? But going back to machine learning and AI, it's not like that at all. First of all, you're dealing with use cases where what is correct and what is incorrect. And then second of all, even if you do know 100% correctness, like we are trying to guess a photo of me and the AI is saying, I have X amount of confidence that it is a photo of Demetrius and it says yes, but it hides that it is an AI system that is saying that. And so it just says, yes, this is Demetrius. Then humans are much more likely to believe the computer and what it says. And so going back to myself, I think that's just because we've been throughout our lives, whenever we've done something with computers or calculators for that matter, it's been deterministic. But now we're dealing with probabilistic models. And so you have to discount that they're not always correct. And there may be some errors in there. And therefore, we should be notifying the end user that we are using an AI model so that it's very clear to them, do not take every single thing that this AI model says at face value. And especially now, maybe later on, there's going to be a technological breakthrough or we're going to start using different architecture methods so that hallucinations aren't as strong with large language models. But Mm -hmm. for now definitely got to be letting people know that there's potential this model may be hallucinating. So now this is a question, obviously, that probably a lot of your members think about. There's a big split about open source of these large language models. As you know, Meta put out its large language model out there. Now, there are people who say, hey, it spurs innovation, and there are people who say it could get in the hands of bad actors, etc., What are your thoughts in terms of open sourcing of these large language models? I 100% believe in open source, and I feel like we have to open source. That's one thing that is very clear to me. And I've tried to look into this argument as far as, oh, it may get into the hands of bad actors, and then bad actors are going to be doing more bad things easier, faster in that way. And I don't think regulating at the model level or not allowing open source models to happen because of the potential that bad actors may get a hold of it and use it is really the best way to go about it. I'm not saying I know the best way to go about it, but I do believe that we need to regulate at a different level. And again, like in the US, it's crazy to me to think that would even be a question because there are so many problems with guns in the US and they don't regulate that. Those actually kill people. Let's be honest, like let's have a actually honest conversation here. Guns kill people and AI may or may not kill people. Like, and how, if if you are going to have it kill someone, how is it going to go and do that? And we don't regulate guns in the US. Like the regulation when it comes to guns is a very hot topic. I'm not saying I'm for or against any type of regulation, but if we're going to be honest and we say we need to regulate AI, but, and especially when it comes to the open sourcing of models, because some bad actors may get their hands on it, then shouldn't we be regulating guns because some bad actors can get their hands on it and then start killing schools? I just don't see the idea that like, 
it's a good idea to, yeah, I don't see the logic behind not allowing open source to thrive. And so what I think I like more than the idea of regulating at the model level and not allowing open source to thrive is regulating at the application level so that if you have an application that is leveraging a model and it is doing nefarious things, that's what you want to not allow. Not a model that can be used for good or bad, right? Just like any type of tool that humans have, they can all be used for good or bad. But we're not regulating knives. Yeah. So you're saying not at the model level, but at the application level. Uh, I think that just makes a lot more sense to me when it comes to the value that models can bring and how backwards it would be if we were to regulate a model because it potentially can be used for bad when, and it's just, again, in my eyes, it's hypocritical when there are a lot of things out there that are being used for bad today and they are not being regulated. So coming back to another thing in the executive order is about watermarking. They're making a big issue that watermarking needs to be there and they're coming up with some technologies. What are your thoughts on watermarking, protecting intellectual property? As far as for, so you're going to have to explain this one a little bit more to me because do you mean watermarking for fake videos? Yeah, original content, et cetera. It's part of the executive order. Yeah. So I was thinking about this one when it comes to watermarking for videos, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to, especially when it comes to real videos, are we going to watermark them? And then unless it has a watermark, we're not going to trust that it's real. But then what about all that stuff that people don't want out there and they're not going to watermark? So I have, let's just say I'm a horrible person and I say a bunch of stuff that I don't want to and, or that if I'm a horrible person, I just say it all the time, but someone catches me on camera saying that and then they watermark it, but it's their watermark. And then I say, no, that's not real. That was just watermarked. That's a fake video that was watermarked by this person. So I think there's a few areas where it doesn't make sense. All in all, it would be good to know what is real and what is fake. But I think it's a lot more difficult of a problem than just watermarking. Yeah. Demetrius, A lot of these large technology companies who in many cases have these large foundation models have all gone up to the U.S. Congress and have said, we need regulation, regulate us. The worry that a lot of people have, especially small innovators, et cetera, is that they're doing it for regulatory capture, which means they want regulations potentially. And we are not saying that's truly the case, that it could be that the person who, you know, the company that comes next finds it a real steep climb because of all the regulations. Does that concern you, a regulatory capture by big tech companies? I So I'm going to quote my friend Dan Jeffries on this one because I think he wrote an incredible piece about the Baptists and the bootleggers. And I find it funny that no one is really talking about it as much. But it's quite clear if you... So there's basically what Dan Jeffries breaks down in his blog post is how you have Baptists who are really 100% believing that AI without the strongest form of alignment is going to destroy us all. 
and you can call them doomers, you can call them whatever you want, but they think that we need to be as careful as possible, tread waters very lightly because what we are doing is basically playing with fire. And so those people are out there. There's a good amount of those people out there right now. And those are what Dan calls the Baptists. They truly believe 100% that AI needs to be regulated. It needs to be watched over because of the danger and the potential that it has for bad. And then you have the bootleggers who say, you know what? I see some potential here where I can make some money and I can really spin this to my advantage. And so Dan talks about this in the case of prohibition in the 1920s, where you had people that were saying, look, alcohol, horrible. We need to get rid of it. We need to ban it, prohibit it completely. And so there was a large group of people that thought that. And then you had people that were going and they were saying, you know what? If alcohol is illegal, I can take advantage of it. And those are the bootleggers. And so they say, great, yeah, alcohol is horrible. And even more than that, I'm going to show you why it's so bad. And so that it does get prohibited. And then the bootleggers can charge way more for their alcohol, right? When they go into the speakeasies, it now becomes alcohol is much harder to get your hands on. And so it goes underground and it's much more difficult. And who makes all the money from that? The bootleggers. So now if we look at it in today's day and age, you have the Baptists who are saying AI is going to destroy us all. And there's a lot of people that think that. And there's an angry mob of people that are trying to advocate for that already. And then you have the bootleggers who are the big tech companies that say, you know what? This is a great idea because... As soon as we regulate it, that means more dollars for us. If we're the only ones that are able to do this stuff, we're going to go and make more money. So, of course, who have you seen that goes up to Congress and is testifying? It's companies that have, they have, they, how do I say this? It's companies that stand to gain much more than the average Joe if it were regulated. So that's, and again, these aren't my words, these are Dan Jeffries. And so I have to give him 100% credit on this, but that is where I feel like we stand right now with the regulatory capture and why we've seen so many of these big companies that are really in the lead trying to say, yes, we need regulation. I need to read that article. Very fascinating explanation. I, I definitely need to read that article. You know, Demetrius, you are in the EU. Should the regulations basically apply globally or should they be tailored regionally? What are your thoughts? Because everybody seems to be doing their own thing, trying to get ahead of each other, the EU, the US, UK, China, India, etc. What are your thoughts on this? So this is one of those questions I am not sure I have a good answer for. I don't think realistically, it would be great if we could say, hey, there's one overarching regulation for everyone, but that is going to be very hard to accomplish. Just like in science, we say there's no cloning allowed, right? And people are still cloning out there. Once you get the technology and you have it in your hands, it's hard to regulate against it. And so in my eyes, it does feel like it's going to come down to a much smaller subset and you're going to have the countries and the areas where there's not going to be regulation and it's going to 
I'm not sure if it necessarily is going to make things go faster. I think it is a little bit of a misnomer to say that regulation stifles innovation. I don't buy that just overarching statement that as soon as we regulate things, then it's going to go much slower. I do think you have to focus and really know what you're talking about when it comes to regulating. And I will just say this, funny enough, I think it's a little bit of a plot twist, but I'm not sure if you saw this. Recently, I was reading something on how France is trying to not have the EU regulate as much these days because they have like three or four really well-funded foundational model companies that are in France. You have Mistral, I think Poolside is another one. And then there's I can't remember. Uh, there's another one too. But so yeah. And so what's happening is France is now going against this idea that we need to regulate things. And I would, I just find it hilarious that it's like, uh, we need to regulate everything until it actually is going to make us a lot of money. And then maybe we should think twice about this regulation and maybe not move so fast. So that is hopefully for the better. Because regulation, when it gets put into place, it's really hard to get rid of it. And I think we've all seen when it comes to the GDPR, how useless that has been. Like all these allow cookies pop-ups on the websites, what good has that brought me? I am not sure any in my life. If anything, it is the biggest headache ever. And so... When we do regulate something, ideally, we make sure that it is really thought through and we keep iterating on it quickly. Sadly, the governments are not known for their fast iteration cycles. And so that's why if we are going to regulate things, it needs to be very well thought through. Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. Dimitris, concluding our conversation, most of the hearings and other conversations in the US especially, I have a feeling it would be the same in EU. You've seen the big tech companies and others have been providing witnesses, white papers, etc. But other stakeholders have not been there. And one of the things that we are trying to do in this podcast and with our you know, advocacy is get folks like you to have a voice, small companies, medical companies, community colleges, which is a big concept in the U.S., manufacturing mm-hmm. companies who are going to have robotics replace workers. They need to have a voice. In your view, how important is that? 100%. The diversity needs to be taken into account. And also, I think it just goes back to this idea that when we say AI, what are we talking about? What does that even mean? For me, AI is a marketing term. And all of these different use cases and how we're using AI, there's some really groundbreaking stuff that's going on out there. And it's saving a lot of people a lot of money or making a lot of people a lot of money. And just because we have this to quote or paraphrase from Jan LeCun, who's working at Facebook, right now, when ChatGPT came out, we recognized, wow, this is incredible, but it's no more than a very clever autocomplete. And because this autocomplete came out and shocked the world, 
all of a sudden we're talking about, maybe we want to put the brakes on things, but if we're going to put this overarching brakes on things, then it's going to be hurting quite a bit. A lot of different use cases that are gaining a lot of momentum right now. And we're still so much in the early days. Like we're still just trying to figure out how to use these things reliable or reliably. And a lot of these use cases are not at all trying to figure out AGI. It's just trying to figure out, is there a bad apple in my production line? Like you said, there's a lot of manufacturing companies that are getting a ton of value out of computer vision. And you can call that AI. (laughs) It's really, it's computer vision, it's machine learning. And that's why I say that AI for me is a bit of a marketing term. And it's garnered a lot of hysteria that I think is not necessarily warranted because of a very clever autocomplete. Wonderful. Demetrius, this has been really enlightening and really informative. And thank you for taking the time. Any concluding remarks for our listeners, people who are legislators, people who are think tanks, etc.? Yeah, I think it just goes back to the main point I've been trying to harp on for this Mm -hmm. the last half hour or so. It's really when we are looking at regulation, we should be focusing on AI that can kill people today. Stuff that's actually got the power to kill people like AI and self-driving or AI and drone strikes or military systems. These are high-risk systems and they should be held to a higher standard and higher testing and everything that you want to regulate should be focused on those conversations, not necessarily a recommender system that's giving me, (laughs) that's showing me high heels when I go and try and buy my next pair of shorts, you know? Those are great comments and they will be listened to by our audience. So thank you so much, uh, Demetrius, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review.